Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is projected for what in 2021? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, December 1st. Give yourself a pat on the back because you've made it to the final month of the craziest year I've ever lived through. Frank Stanfield reunited by Scott T. Dubs. Scott White, who has a Christmas tree in the background. If you are watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today, you could see Scott White's Christmas tree for all of December. Absolutely fantastic. Huge fan of Christmas and the Christmas spirit in general. I would take everyone for a tour around my house and you could see all the decorations, but I'm not going to do that. Scott, what's up, man? How was your Thanksgiving? Yeah, well, since I podcast right here from my living room, it's it's kind of unavoidable that you see the decorations, but it, I think it looks nice. It's nice and festive. I, we got the white lights on right now. Maybe some some recordings. I'll go for the the multicolored lights. I don't know. Are you are you more into the white lights or the multicolored lights for your for your Christmas tree, Frank? I would say white is probably more Christmassy, but yeah. I, yeah. I don't mind changing it up if you have some white and some of the multicolored ones together. You just kind of go for it all on the Christmas tree. You can make think, that happen. I think the white looks a little classier. Looks yeah. like the old the old school candle look, you know, on the tree. Uh, which is what those lights are meant to represent. Colorful, you know, that's kind of for the kitties, I feel like. Yeah. But and there's... I can say we do have arguments between the adults and the kids, <laughs> whether to put the tree on the white lights or the multicolored lights. Uh, but it's nighttime, so that's the parents' time, and they're white right now. Yeah. Are you a bigger Christmas guy than you are Thanksgiving? I, I would say Christmas is my favorite holiday, Yes. All right. Not that Thanksgiving isn't great. Yeah, but I asked you about it a couple of weeks ago, and you were just like, eh, you know, thing. Was Wait, I? was that Thanksgiving? Maybe that was Halloween. I'm getting nah, my holidays that was mixed up. Yeah. All right, well, something that I know Scott is thankful for is one-year deals, especially when it comes to his Atlanta Braves, who the past couple of seasons, Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna, have really hit on these one-year contracts, and we didn't give you the opportunity to react to Charlie Morton signing with your Atlanta Braves, Scott. But now you can do just that. He was not very good this past season in 2020. He dealt with injuries and the velocity being down, but then turned it on once the postseason started. So um, what is your reaction to him joining the Atlanta Braves? Have you moved up your rankings in terms of starting pitchers? Uh, he's moving up ADP a little bit right now. So I think people are getting a little bit more excited now that they know where he's going to be pitching in 2021. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find the tweet where I had a good stat for Charlie Morton, and for some reason, it's not coming up. But I, I didn't move him up with this deal. I knew he would sign somewhere to be a uh, a, a regular uh, guy who takes his regular turn in the rotation. He wasn't very good this past year compared to the previous two years, but I can tell you as a Braves fan, he was better. You know, I, I like the track record Charlie Morton's shown more than I do the one Cole Hamels showed before he got a bigger deal, bigger one-year deal last year. Uh, so from that context, I feel good about it. He struggled early on with the sore shoulder, and the velocity was down. He was, he was one of a few pitchers early in the year where like the velocity wasn't quite right. But Morton's recovered over time after he had an IL stint for the shoulder, came back looking better, to the point that uh, if you combine his regular season stats with his postseason stats, he had a strong postseason he ended up with a 403 ERA, 131 whip, 10.1 K per nine. I'm not saying that ERA and that whip is great, but uh, for the K rate for a down season, for a guy who uh, just by virtue of the amount of high-end pitchers out there is going to get pushed down to around 
40th in the SP rankings, probably. You could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse. I think I think it's a good deal for the Braves. And I think um, you know, if if you're getting Morton as like your number five guy in fantasy, it's all upside at that point. Yeah, I have him as my SP thirty six as of now in the ranks. So as of now, people can just see our top 36. And I know, Scott, you don't have him in there. So just outside that range for you. And in terms of where he's being drafted, we did a Roto mock draft a couple of weeks ago, our first official mock draft of the offseason. And Charlie Morton went 84th overall in that mock draft, which seems a little high. It's the last pick of the seventh round. His NFBC ADP over the past week or so is 116.3. So I would say... If we split the difference, I think he probably winds up somewhere around pick 100, maybe like 100 to 110 in that range. But yeah, I think if you get him as your SP4, SP5, if you're really aggressive early on. You know me, Frank. He's not going to be less than a five (laughs) for me. Come on. Oh, I know. I know. If you haven't figured out by now, today on the show, we are uh, going to look at some 2021 projections from Steamer, which you can find over on Fangraphs. And we do have some of your mailbag questions to answer a little bit later on. I wanted to hit on a few more news and notes outside of Charlie Morton. Now that we got Scott's thoughts there, there really isn't a lot to talk about. The Royals apparently are the only team uh, making moves, Scott. Big moves. They signed Mike Miner to a two-year deal, and Michael Taylor, formerly of the Nationals, to a one-year deal. Roster Resource has Michael Taylor as a platoon center fielder with Franchi Cordero, so I don't really think that there's much to see there. And uh, Mike Miner, I think, will probably be in their rotation. The good news for Miner, his uh, fastball spin rate, according to StatCast, ranked in the 97th percentile last season. The bad news was everything else. He had a 5.56 ERA. His fa- uh, fastball velocity dropped two miles per hour, went from 92.6 in 2019 to 90.6 in 2020. So anything to see here with either of these signings, Scott? Probably more so minor, I would imagine. Yeah, is it 100% clear whether he, he signed to... Uh, I guess he's going to start out in the rotation, right? Considering it's the Orioles, though. <laughs> Considering it's the Royals, yeah, it's it's not one hundred percent sure. I'm I'm just kind of assuming right now. I mean, they've Singer, Bubich, Keller, Danny Duffy. They're all probably locked. So there's really only one spot Miner can earn. And if any of those, either of those other two uh, young pitchers come up as aggressively as as uh, as Bubich and Singer did this year. Those other two young pitchers being, I can't recall off the top of my head, Jackson Kawar and uh, Daniel Lynch. Then Miner probably gets bumped to the bullpen. He he was supposed to go to the bullpen when the Athletics acquired him, but then a need arose for him to be in the rotation. And I'm not really sure he has what it takes there. I mean, especially if the velocity is going to be down like it it was last year. Maybe that was just a fluke of the shortened season and the hurried buildup, but. Even in 2019, when Miner looked great, he had a 460 xFIP. We had reason to worry about him. Last year, his xFIP was actually lower, 450 versus 460. Even though the the uh, the results weren't good, so I don't have a lot of hope for Miner as a fantasy asset at this point. But you know, he has some success in his past, and and uh, if he gets off to a hot start, I I won't just ignore him. Yeah, if we can get those two start weeks with the. Uh... The Tigers and the Indians, right? <laughs> that could be somewhere where he's in play. But uh, yeah, for Mike Miner and Michael A. Taylor, just names to pay attention to in AL only as of now. Early 2021 projections, standouts via Steamer on Fangraphs. What are Steamer projections? You might have listened to other podcasts and heard people reference Steamer before. We've referenced Steamer a little bit here on, on the show as well. But per MLB.com's glossary, Steamer is a system of projections developed by Jared Cross, a high school science teacher in, you guessed it, Brooklyn, and two of his former students, Dash Davidson and Peter Rosenblum. It is currently used by Fangraphs as its primary projection system for individual players. Like other projection systems, Steamer uses past performance and aging trends to develop a future projection for players. It also uses pitch tracking data to help forecast pitchers. On Fangraphs, the projections are updated daily and predict each player's numbers over the course of the remainder of the season. So, 
something that you can look at in season as well. Scott, before we actually jump into uh, specific players, I know before we started the show, we were talking a little bit and you said, you have some thoughts on projections just in general. Would you like to yeah, share part, those? Part of the reason we don't talk about projections more is because I don't really believe in projections. That's like my hottest fantasy baseball take. Spicy. And, it, and it's worded in the most, uh, I guess, uh, uh, controversial way possible. But my, my point is that I don't think they have a lot of utility in fantasy analysis. I think, I think, I think what projections do best, their, their, their best purpose is if you, if you landed here from outer space and you didn't know anything about baseball, these names were all completely foreign to you, but you had to get a grasp of, you had, you had to do in a very short amount of time, get a grasp of what kind of player every player is. Projections can help with that because they oftentimes do kind of summarize the, the past few seasons uh, of what a player has contributed. But if you're like us or people who play fantasy baseball religiously, then you kind of already know who everybody is. You don't need the projections to tell you that. And so what they can actually, so what they actually then end up doing is they can be misleading because they, they create this hypothetical outcome that you know is is of course just one scenario of many, but the, the they, it kind of becomes this outsized scenario in terms of expectations and can influence rankings in ways that are potentially harmful. Maybe the guy just got a bad projection. For instance, uh, looking at these steamer projections, one that really stood out to me was Hyunjin Ryu, projected for a four sixteen ERA. Well, I mean, the highest ERA Hyunjin Ryu has had the past three years is 269. So 416 ERA, if, if you're going to base your rankings on projections, that's obviously going to skew where he ends up. Now, maybe Ryu is going to age very rapidly this year and have an ERA over four. Uh, I would be shocked if his ERA is that high. I would eat my hat if Yunjin Ryu has a 416 ERA. How about that? I will, I will ship you this hat, Scott, and you can eat it live on the air. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's just one example. But, you know, even, even something more, even if you agree that the projection is maybe the most, most likely outcome for a player, which is, you know, probably true in, in most cases, projections tend to be kind of middle of the road in what they, they put for a player. Um, there might be a wider range of outcomes for that particular player. Maybe he's just a young guy breaking in and has a very high ceiling. Well, you're obviously going to want to rank him higher than the middle of the road projection. Uh, and same, you know, maybe the opposite is true if it's an older guy or an injury prone guy. So I, I don't love projections. I, I don't love how they're often applied for fantasy baseball purposes. And I, I'm not sure there is much of an application for them. Like I said, other than to give you a starting point for rankings that then you, you go and make aggressive changes to. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do want to hit on just specifically these steamer projections. They are more conservative than, I guess, what you would expect, right? So, Hunjin Ryu with an ERA over four, as you'll see with some of the other names that we'll talk about, it's not really dissimilar from other pitchers that he has uh, projected in that range, right? So, we'll get into some of those. Uh, I don't want to completely downplay projections because I think there is some use for them, Scott. Um, and I, I'm not saying that you said that, but these are mean projections, right? So, this is like their 50th percentile outcome and their 90th percentile could be, you know, for Ryu, it could be whatever, a uh, sub-3 ERA like we saw two seasons ago. His 10th percentile Projection could be, okay, 50, uh, a 5.00 ERA over the course of 100 innings where he just gets hurt and just completely falls off the map. So these are mean projections, um, the most likely outcome. Um, and of course, by mean, you mean unkind, right? No, you don't. Womp, no, you no, mean no. average. Well, they are they are kind of mean to Ryu. They are and actually, kind of they're kind of mean to all the pitchers. Yes, they are kind of mean to all the pitchers. And we will start there. Uh, we've talked a lot about workload for next season and what it's going to look like. And Steamer currently has five starting pitchers projected for 200 innings in 2021, 40 projected for at least 180 
that might be that's a little bit more aggressive than I thought. Uh, but back in 2019, we did have 15 starting pitchers who went 200 innings and 33 that went at least 180. So I guess you factor that in where some of these are not going 200 anymore. They drop back down to that 180 threshold. All right, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. I think we're probably in that 30 to 40 pitcher range in terms of how many we could expect to get to at least 180 innings. Uh, Those five that are projected for 200 plus, Shane Bieber, Trevor Bauer, Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, and Herman Marquez. So he's kind of the surprise one in there, but everyone else kind of makes sense. One of these pitchers that are projected for close to 200 innings is Lucas Giolito, who is projected for 196, but also projected for a 4.16 ERA, a 1.26 whip, 226 strikeouts. And I remember last year, Seamer really did not like Lucas Giolito either heading into 2020. Even before we knew it was going to be a shortened season, I remember this stood out to me and they were just way off on Lucas Giolito. Um, so I wanted to ask Scott, like, is there anything that you are specifically worried about for him? Because I brought this up in our early pitcher preview. It kind of... It's just something that's in the back of my mind where you have to take Giolito, which is, as of now, the second round. Maybe in 12-team leagues, he falls to the early third round. But he had a two-start stretch, one of those including the no-hitter against the Pirates. The other start was against the Tigers, where he threw 16 shutout innings with 26 strikeouts in in 16 innings pitch. His other 10 starts outside of those two, a 4.49 ERA. Is that where you at all, Scott? No, not really. It It's always tricky slicing and dicing a pitcher's game log like that, but especially when you're talking about a sample of 12 starts. Um, and especially since, I mean, the underlying numbers point to a lot of the same reasons for success as in his 2019 breakout. My biggest concern for Lucas Giolito is that the the walk rate went up this past year. Uh, you know, he had of those of those twelve starts, half of them he had three walks or more, which isn't great. Three walks in a start is is never a good thing. So that would be my biggest concern. But I think when he's in the strike zone, he's very effective, and he still ended up with a one hundred four whip. I have a lot of I I have more faith in Giolito than I did at this time a year ago. I I don't think I'm totally confident yet i know exactly where in the elite range of starting pitchers he falls if he's more like if he's more going to settle in as a back end of the top 20 guy or back end of the top 10 guy um but i think he's gonna be good you know i i have as much confidence saying that about him as really any pitcher outside of the top three yeah and i think that's well said, is while I want to move Giolito down the ranks a little bit, I have him at SP7, same spot where you have him, Scott, and it's just everybody in this range, you kind of have something you're worried about. Kershaw, the back, he's getting older. Trevor Bauer, can he repeat what he did in this shortened 2020 season? Is he legit? Jack Flaherty, okay, workload concerns. He had a weird COVID season. Scherzer's getting up there in age. Bueller, workload concerns. Gallon has only done it for 15, 20 starts so far. So, I mean, we have concerns with all these guys. I just, I don't know how much further I can move him down, but these things are just in the back of my mind. He has shown a little bit of inconsistency at times. He does go very deep into his starts, which is something I like a lot for head-to-head points leagues specifically, Scott, and we know mm-hmm. that it helps, uh, that correlates well with wins. So, pitchers who go deeper into their starts are more likely to earn wins. So, Giolito has really developed into that workhorse-type pitcher. Uh, one other thing I noticed this year, Really, really reliant on that changeup. Fastball took him a bit of a step back in, in terms of command, but I want to see that slider get back on track. He's fine. It's just, these are things in the back of my mind when it comes to Giolito. Nelson one, one thing I want to mention in relation to the, the steamer projection of the 416 ERA, mm-hmm. um, what I'm noticing across these steamer projections is that 2020 is being mostly disregarded. It was just such a small sample, I think, that... It, it gets swallowed by everything else that's being uh, considered. Giolito threw 72 and a third innings, even though he didn't miss a start, I don't think. 72 and a third is all he ended up with, which means he has only two career seasons with more than 100 innings. 
They're both more than 170 innings. So those two seasons really stand out for Giolito in terms of, of sample. One of them, he had a 341 ERA, obviously the breakout 2019 season, but the other one, he had a 613 ERA. So if, if past performance is being factored in for all these pitchers and one of them is 613 ERA, of course, it's going to, to skew the, the projection. No, and that's a really good point. Again, these projections, they take the past two or three seasons plus where they they do factor in some kind of progression for specific players, as we will learn with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. a little bit later on. And maybe even for this guy, Denelson Lamette. I mentioned his name just a little bit ago. Uh, he's projected to be the ninth most valuable starting pitcher, according to Steamer. They have this auction calculator on fan graphs where you can use the projections to find out how valuable a player is. Um, and Denelson Lamette comes out as the ninth most valuable starting pitcher. And his projection, a 3.62 ERA, 1.18 whip, 11.4 K per nine in 173 innings pitch. Scott, I, I liken Denelson Lamette, knowing what we know now, to the Yordan Alvarez of pitchers. Because I think inside the top 20 starters, him, Lamette, Strasburg, Trevor Bauer, those three really come to mind as the three pitchers who might have the widest range of outcomes that are being drafted this early uh, so far for, for 2021 drafts. So what do you think of yeah. that comp? That I, I just think he's like the biggest wild card to Nelson Lamette, where if he stays healthy, he can be awesome, but obviously ending the season with uh, this biceps injury, not being able to pitch in the postseason, mm-hmm. it's usually a precursor for worse injuries to come. Yeah, and, and he's a guy who's recently removed from Tommy John's surgery too. I think performance-wise, he blew away all expectations. He was kind of a trendy breakout pick, but kind of like Shane Bieber two years ago, whatever breakout people were imagining for it, he went he went beyond that. I mean, he was top 10 in both XFIP and swinging strike rate. He was great. But can we be confident he's going to be healthy, and can we be confident he's going to take on the, a workload comparable to others in the range he's going to be drafted in, considering the injury history and the fact that he didn't get to really extend himself in this very short season. So I, I want to like lament more than I feel like I can. I don't think I'm going to have... I, I don't think I'm going to be heavily invested in him just because for the cost, it seems like too much risk. So of the 12 starts he made in 2020, one, two, three, four, five, six of them, he went at least six innings. So, all right, about half. He's, he's not in that tier of workhorse pitcher yet. We know that walks could still be a bit of an issue at times, and they, uh, they kind of worked him in slowly to start the season. His first three starts were all below six innings, so... All right, he got better as the season went along. I think the upside is tremendous. The slider, you can argue, was one of, if not the best pitch among starting pitchers in the entire 2020 season. I mean, it was that good, and he threw it over 50% of the time, which is just crazy. It's like Patrick Corbin on steroids from a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, for me, Lamette, the Yordan Alvarez of pitchers, just the ultimate wild card. Lots of upside, but also lots of downside. Uh, speaking of trendy 2020 breakouts. These are our trendy 2021 breakouts, Scott. And Corbin Burns and Zach Plesek. These two, we talk a lot about Corbin Burns and what to project for his innings. Steamer has him for 158. Might be aggressive for Corbin Burns, but a 4.12 ERA, 1.32 whip, and just over 10 strikeouts per nine. That's for Corbin Burns. And then you sent me this one, and <laughs> I think this is where they're they're taking into account what Zach Plesak has done in his career thus far uh, and really not baking in him progressing and and carrying over what he did in 2020 but mm-hmm. a 4.73 ERA projection with under 8 strikeouts per 9 does give you 174 innings. <laughs> Scott, I don't think people would be excited about that for Zach Plesak and, and there is a contingent of people, Scott. Cuz I'm doing a few NFBC drafts who really like Plesak. I'm talking like he's being drafted inside the top 20 starting pitchers in these drafts that I've been in so far. So, I, I, Well, I think yeah, I have him in my top 25. He was number two in fantasy points per start this year behind only his teammate Shane Bieber 
only made eight starts, but 228 ERA, a 0.8 whip. Actually, it was a little less than that. I have to round up to 0.8. Uh, and more than a strikeout per inning really changed his pitch mix. But even as a rookie, 21 starts, he had a 381 ERA. So nowhere near this 473 mark. And something weird is going on with the ERAs in, in these projections. I, I don't know if it's kind of normalizing to the center of the pitching pool so that you know, it's not really reflecting the the disparity between the high end pitchers and the the rest that we see today. Because I mean, pretty much all these guys um, have are projected for high ERAs. We of course mentioned Ryu and Giolito both projected for four sixteen. Uh, Dylan Bundy four fifty four. Aaron Nola, I think, is like three ninety. Yeah, three ninety. I mean, D- Jacob Degrom's the only one projected for lower than three. He's he's at two ninety six. My man. Yeah. Um, Charlie, Charlie Morton's 376, so that's actually not so bad, especially considering the year he just had. But again, it was a drop in the bucket compared to the previous two years. Uh, Lucas Giolito, 365. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty high. One, another one that struck me as interesting because the track record ERA-wise is actually quite good is Julio Urias, who Steamer projects for a 441 ERA. I'm trying to remember exactly what his highest ERA to this point has been. So this year it was 327. Last year, mostly in relief, granted, but it was 249. But Julio Urias is a guy who has greatly outperformed his, his expected stats uh, pretty much from the beginning because he doesn't have this great strikeout rate unless you look at what he did in the playoffs and maybe that's a sign of things to come for him. Who knows? Uh, not an exceptional control pitcher, but he he limits hits. He limits hard contact. Not something I normally bank on from year to year, but Rios is developing a pretty good track record of it. And of course, he comes from a great prospect pedigree, still isn't even 25 yet. So he's kind of a weird pitcher to evaluate, Julio Arias. Of course, we don't know exactly how the Dodgers are going to treat him. Is he just going to be stuck in this swingman role for as long as he's with them, going three and four innings at a time? Who knows? But a difficult pitcher to evaluate. The steamer projection, I think, uh, kind of kind of shines a light on that. The last thing I just wanted to bring up, Scott, was regarding Plesak and Corbin Burns. I mentioned where they're going in... This early ADP, Plesak, 59.4, Corbin Burns, 59.7, as the 19th and 20th starting pitchers, respectively. That means if you're drafting in a 12-team league, Scott, you're taking these guys at the end of the fifth round, early sixth round. And for most people, that's probably as your SP3. Would you be comfortable with either one of these guys? Plesak, Corbin Burns? I feel Corbin like for Burns? me, that's SP3. For most people, it would be... It might even be SP2. Two, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It just seems like we might be putting, for those two guys, I, I understand what the upside can be based on what we saw. It was a shortened season. It seems like we th- this early value is, is putting a little bit too much weight on the shortened season. Well, I don't know. I don't know because things can change pretty fast at pitcher. They can change pretty fast. Um, if you buy... If you buy the reasons for police X improvement, and I have him 25th, so I have him lower than this early consensus too. Um, I think there comes a point where you can't put him much lower because 26th, I have Kyle Hendricks, who's always been meh, d- definitively second or third tier, right? Uh, Max Freed comes after that. I have my concerns about him. Zach Wheeler, there are limits to his upside. Sonny Gray, kind of questionable. Framber Valtez. I mean, you get you get into some dicey territory after too long. And and Zach Plesak did some really impressive things this past year. I I think more than anything, it, it reflects why I don't want to be. I I don't want to be in a position at starting pitcher where he ends up by number two. I don't I don't want to. Um, pass up the more secure options at that position pursuing a lot of more questionable guys. Fair. Uh, it's uh, Police Hack and Burns, just uh, polarizing guys that we're going to have to figure out basically all offseason long. Did a lot of really great things, but trying to figure out what they will do next season is uh, <laughs> an interesting task. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break. Uh, I do just want to let everybody know that every Wednesday in December, 
Will Middlebrooks and Danny Vietti will be dropping a podcast in the Fantasy Baseball Today feed. So starting this Wednesday, our programming schedule is not changing. You will still hear Scott and myself twice per week. We'll have a guest on later in the week. Actually, this week we have Ellen Adair coming on, and she's been on the podcast each of the past two off-seasons. So really looking forward to that. But every Wednesday in December, you will... So four podcasts total. Uh, will Middlebrooks former Boston Red Sox player and analyst for CBS Sports HQ will join Danny Vietti. Uh, they'll be talking more general baseball things, but they have some really good interviews lined up. They already interviewed Jackie Bradley Jr. You'll he- hear that this Wednesday. They asked Jackie Bradley Jr. about J.D. Martinez, this whole uh, him not being able to use in-game video, so I'm really interested to see what J.D., uh, what Jackie Bradley had to say about that. They have an interview with Adam Jones lined up, another one with Justin Upton, so you'll hear that all throughout the, the course of December. So if you, you hear a random, na- uh, a random voice in your feed, don't, don't be alarmed. This, this is where it's supposed to be. Uh, and of course, mentioned earlier, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm wearing my uh, Home Run Hermanos shirt. You see this guy? This is uh, mm. little Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado. Home Run Hermanos. So mm. Padres meeting Breaking Bad, the best show. Oh, yeah. You can Very see, good. You can see I that here. I got my uh, pixelated Bowser shirt on. Okay. All right. Original Mario Brothers. I see you, Scott. You can see and my a Christmas shirt. tree. And a Christmas tree. You can see all of it. YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today. We just crossed 1,800 subscribers. So let's get to 2K by the start of spring training. So late February, early March. I think that's a nice little goal for us to set forth. Take a break. When we return, we'll hit on some of these hitter projections that we found interesting here. Fantasy baseball today. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. If you're looking for a podcast adventure, check out Dum Dums and Dragons, a podcast where improvisers and comedians who've never role-played before journey into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Dum Dums and Dragons has been featured on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, ranked number two of all fiction podcasts in America, and has been downloaded more than four million times. Dum Dums and Dragons can be discovered anywhere hilarious podcasts can be found. It's like Lord of the Rings, if everyone was an idiot. Well, just before we get to some of these hitter projections, Scott filled me in with some fantastic news here throughout our break that he did his homework assignment and he watched Euro Trip. Scotty now does know. What do you think, Scott? Was it good? Did you enjoy it? Well, Frank, <laughs> I love you. I love you. You got you got a lot of good baseball opinions. Oh, uh, Scott hated it. They run a good show here. <laughs> We have very different tastes in movies. Oh, Frankie, not gonna lie, not gonna lie. <laughs> to be fair, I watched this movie in my teens, so it was part <laughs> of like me growing up. It was part of my life. Yeah. It, it it is it has shaped me into the man that I am today. <laughs> but no, you you weren't you weren't into it. Scott. I'm even disappointed by the setup to Scotty doesn't know because like it's pretty messed up. <laughs> well, you already. You already knew what's revealed and Scotty doesn't know. It seems like the the song itself should have been the big reveal. Like that that would have been a more dramatic mo- I I don't know if it would have been too crushing for a comment. I, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, it, it seemed like a missed opportunity, but I, I mean the whole movie was made by some objectively untalented people. So I'm not Oh, <laughs> oh Scott. Oh, I guess I shouldn't go too hard on them. It's we're grading on a curve here. Look, I didn't make the movie. I just enjoy it. So yeah, miscusi, no. miscusi. No, it's got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Enough Euro trip here. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. mentioned him at the very top of the podcast, and it's kind of unexplainable, Scott, because for all these other projections we've talked about, they take into account very heavily, it seems like they weigh what a player has done to this point in their career. And to this point, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a 778 OPS. He has not lived up to expectations. But for some reason, maybe they're buying into all these videos and him losing weight in the offseason. People are going to go crazy for Vlad again. I get it. Projected for a 299 batting average, 31 home runs, 94 runs, 99 RBI, and a 902 OPS. That would be a 124-point jump from his career mark, which I mentioned is 778. 
What are we doing, Scott? Well, I think I think this is this kind of speaks to why he keeps getting drafted earlier and earlier. Early's not sliding at all. Even with uh, even with him underachieving for two years in a row, I mean, this is kind of like the dream scenario for Vladimir Guerrero, right? It the best case outcome is a little higher than this, but it's not a lot higher than this, you know. So it's it's a in in a considering projecting projection systems by nature are are conservative. This is very very aggressive projection. Yeah, and. People are going to continue to chase it. I get it. Prospect pedigree. He's awesome. I want Vlad to succeed myself. He's played 183 games in his major league career, and he's hit 269 with 24 home runs. Does that mean he can't progress and, and get better? No, absolutely not. But just seems uh, very aggressive, as you highlighted, Scott. Uh, let's play a game. Ooh. Scott, would you like to guess Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s ADP in the month of November? Over at the NFBC? Over at NFBC, which tends to tends to tends to swing for the fences with the picks. Yep. Right. So upside guys tend to go earlier. How many drafts has there been? Twenty-three. A decent 23 amount. Twenty-three drafts. Forty-two. Yeah. All right. Well, I overshot it. <laughs> I overshot it and now it's not gonna be it's not gonna it's not gonna have the same sizzle anymore. It wasn't that aggressive, but okay. it is it's fifty-eight point nine. And he's basically okay. going at the same spot as Luke Voigt. So Luke Voigt is right. 58. Vlad is 58.9. In the Roto mock draft that we did, Vlad went 87th overall in the eighth round. So, And let me see where I have him ranked. I have him ranked 91 All right. in, in, in Roto. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the mock draft that we did is pretty close to that then. So, yeah. All righty. We uh continue. You don't seem to like that, Frank. Continue. I have. I'm still. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm. I'm higher than you on Vlad. I want to believe, but I'm not projecting him for. To me, a realistic projection for Vlad would be 280, and this is baking in that he improves. 280, yeah. 25 to 27 homers. 80 runs scored. I don't think he's going to score a lot of runs. He's really slow, and just the lineup around him is. It's okay. It's getting better, but uh, and like ninety RBI. So I think that would be a fair See, projection for him. That maybe not the RBI total because of where he bats in the lineup, but that sounds kind of like Mike Yastrzemski to me. So I don't know where you drafted Mike Yastrzemski. Probably not much higher than ninety-one, right? No, 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 no. I think he probably should go around one hundred. I think that makes sense. But yeah. he's someone to me and. Let's talk about Mike Yastrzemski, who I, I think is being disrespected in some of oh, these yeah. early drafts. And right. uh, the projection from Steamer, 247, 22 home runs, 84 runs, 8 steals. That's a solid player, but nowhere near the player that we saw in 2020, who was a top 15 outfielder in Roto. He was outfielder 9 in head-to-head points. This is a, a player, Mike Yastrzemski, with fantastic plate discipline. He had a 13% walk rate. Uh, the strikeout rate has been improving. He has great splits. He can hit lefties and righties. I, what is not to like about Mike Yastrzemski, Scott? Well, I, I mean, the, the expected stats, according to StatCast, say he overperformed. He doesn't hit the ball especially hard. Uh, but, I, I mean, the plate discipline is fantastic. He overperformed in 2019 too. So how how much should we how much stock should we even put in that? I, I think look, he was being he was being uh, disrespected last year too. I thought I wish I had gotten more of him because it, I kind of got scared away because nobody else seemed to like him. And I don't know. Sometimes I do that and I shouldn't. But um, the big concern last year was, is he going to be an everyday player as a left-handed hitter? You know, how established is he in that lineup? But now that's not a concern. I mean, the Giants know he's their best hitter. They were batting him leadoff for uh, for much of last year. And um, yeah, I agree. He, he probably deserves to go right around 100th. He's, he's kind of Max Muncy-like, uh, but give him more average maybe instead of Muncy... Take away a little of Muncy's power, give you Strimsky a little more average, and I think I think you're dealing with comparable players there. Scott, it is time to 
Guess the ADP for Mike Yashremsky. Where do you think it is? Well, I got him at 103. I'm going to say ADP is 123. You were pretty damn close. It is 131.2 over yeah, at the I end of the season. 133. Mm. So, Didn't yeah. want to overshoot it again. Uh, going right around, just behind Alex Verdugo, just ahead of Ryan Mountcastle and Dylan Carlson. That's an interesting range of outfielders. Verdugo, Yastrzemski, Mountcastle, Carlson, all separated by 15 picks. All right. All right. This is younger guys. Yastrzemski's not young, but he's he's new on the scene. Mm. I like yeah, him. he's 30, believe it or not. He's a great player for... If I can get Yastrzemski as like my outfielder two or outfielder three in a head-to-head points league where you only use three outfielders, perfectly fine. Love it. Uh, there's a few other names I wanted to get to here, but this one specifically, I don't know that if we've argued over Austin Meadows yet, Scott, but I think I am way higher on Austin Meadows than you are. And uh, maybe Scott was the one who made the steamer projection for Austin Meadows because <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good. 255 yeah. batting average, 22 home runs, 11 steals in 113 games. So they are expecting Austin Meadows to miss time. I don't know if this is fair, Scott. And then like, if you do it for Meadows, you have to start doing it for other people. But I'm just giving him a pass for 2021. I mean, the guy got COVID right when the season was getting ready to start. So he missed the first couple of weeks. We heard about other players being affected. Some play, And it affects people differently. Freddie Freeman went on to win the MVP. He had COVID. Uh, he was fine once the season started. Yuan Moncada talked about how he didn't feel like himself all season because he had COVID. Maybe that was the case for Austin Meadows. He also dealt with an oblique injury. Uh, he was being benched in the playoffs against left-handed pitching. I'm not worried about that. He had yeah. he had good splits in 2019 against lefties, good sp- splits in 2018 against lefties. I'm just really trusting the talent here, Scott. So I am not buying well, that projection. I think you get back to playing every day, 270, 25 homers, 15 steals, good counting stats in the middle of a, a solid lineup. I'm giving him a mulligan. Yeah, it is a very pessimistic projection. Uh, a lot of it, I think, has to do with just how how good the performance was and how how surprisingly good the performance was for Austin Meadows in 2019. Like he had been a he had been a pretty high pros, high end high end prospect before that, but he wasn't projected for the kinds of numbers he delivered. Those really like tons of power, good average, pretty much across the board, good. Uh, even the steals weren't weren't bad for Austin Meadows. And I would say just generally the amount of a pass I'm giving anybody for 2020 is, is it corresponds to how much faith I had in them coming into 2020 Austin Meadows. I ranked pretty high, but I I found his 2019 to be difficult to explain. There wasn't when, when I tried to explain what happened to Austin Meadows in 2019, well, they got an opportunity, you know, and particularly playing for the Rays. His opportunity is contingent on how well he performs. Like they, they switch around their lineup as much as anybody. I mean, I mean, basically every Ray, you look at my rankings, I'm probably going to be lower than the consensus because I, I am fearful of that. So, and we knew this heading into 2020. I was willing to make an exception for Austin Meadows because he was so good. I couldn't see how the Rays could justify messing with his playing time. But now they do have a pretty good justification after the year he just had. So uh, I haven't won 20th overall. Uh, 16 or 17 spots behind Mike Yastrzemski. I mean, the same range if you look at my outfield rankings. But Damn, Scott. <laughs> That's a big downgrade from where he was coming into 2020. So where do you have him in your outfield ranks overall? I don't know if you have that readily available. I think he's just a little outside my top 30. I have Arrows Arena ahead of him. Yeah, I have I have Meadows at nine, at 18. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest difference that we have thus far in our rankings, and I'm sure we'll find more throughout the offseason. But... uh yeah, I mean, the StatCast numbers in 2019 really supported what he did. I understand what you're talking about. Like, really wasn't a big power hitter in the minors, so the power came out of nowhere, but did have this big pro- prospect pedigree. 
but the Statcast numbers backing him up in 2019 is, is what really leads me to to trust in him and, and splits and everything that he did basically in 2018 and 2019. So I'm a believer in Meadows. Uh, Scott, not so much. Uh, we were going to get to Rosarena and Teoscar Hernandez. We've talked about those guys uh, a decent bit already so far, and we'll have more time to talk about them. I do want to hit some of these questions that were sent in. Continue to send us your questions via Apple Podcast Reviews and email us, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one's from Brett. I am in a 10-team Roto League, and we are allowed to keep a maximum of five players heading into next season. Obviously, ADP slash last year's performance isn't always a major deciding factor here, as people tend to hoard younger players they believe in for the long term. Example, Trout has has not been available to draft in the past eight years. Rules for keepers are you lose a draft pick for every person you keep. If you keep five, you lose your first five rounds of picks. You keep one, you lose your first round pick, etc. Players I am considering keeping. Again, 10-team Brodo. Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Glaber Torres, Manny Machado, Marcelo Zuna, Eloy Jimenez, Lucas Giolito, and Denelson Lamette. What do you think, Scott? Hmm. Well, Walker Bueller's the obvious one. I feel like Lucas Giolito is pretty obvious, too. Yeah, I thought Machado, too. Um, but I don't know if that's just yeah me being a homer. I mean, Machado's not young. Any, I, I'm, I'm curious how... I, I don't know Marcelo Zuna's age off the top. Okay, so Marcelo Zuna's 30. You don't really know how much... How many years of elite production... I mean, we don't even know he has one year of elite production left, right? Because... It was, it was such, he performed at such a high end, uh, about the maximum extent he could perform in 2020. Uh, and Jimenez, I mean, that's such a, such a pedigree there and he's off to such a good start. I feel like in this format, he's a must. So, and and frankly, Glaber Torres, he's going to be 24 going into this year. Two of his first three years have been great. Shortstop is deep right now. I am. I, I feel like he's going to wind up at second base sooner or later, which will actually be better for his fantasy value, uh, just because he, he. I don't know that he's going to hold up at shortstop. So, I think that gives us our five: right, Bueller, Giolito, Machado, Jimenez, and Torres. Which leaves Ozuna out. It leaves Lamed out, but there's a lot of health risk there, and Kershaw, as we know, is coming, coming toward the end of his career. So I, I feel. I think I feel good about the that five. Yeah, I definitely agree with the four. I was leaning Kershaw over Torres. I mean, if you want to keep the youth factor involved, then sure, you could go with Glaber you know Torres. Uh, but You're Kershaw, right. I think Kershaw could right. still have I mean, like two two good seasons of production left. I kind of got, I kind of bought into his explanation too much because we're talking only five keepers. We're talking only a ten team league. That's pretty shallow. Yeah, you want to dominate that. You pitching. probably should emphasize the year ahead. So I, I think I agree with you. Let's let's swap out Torres for Kershaw. Let's do it, and then and then we'll be good. This one's from Keenan. Ten by ten. I would read off all the categories, but I'm not going to do that. Ten by ten head to head categories. Three keeper league. Teams transfer over for next season only. After that, it resumes being a keep three keeper league. So I guess they're carrying over just what they did in 2020. It's a 2021. All right. Interesting. Uh, trade Corey Seager and Zach Britton for Kenta Maeda and Kenley Jansen to boast bolster my pitching. Give away Seager in the deal. What do you think, Scott? Giving up Seager and Britton for uh, Maeda and Jansen. So it's basically Seager for Maeda straight up. Um, I mean, if you want saves, Jansen. Yeah, I mean, J- Jansen. Fair enough. It's it's not basically that straight up. Sorry, I'm I'm butchering I'm butchering these emails, but um, <laughs> I think you got to stick with Seager after the year he just had. Uh, I like Maeda probably more than the consensus. I have him as a top ten starting pitcher, but I have him behind Seager, and particularly factoring in the keeper aspect. It might be a long time before you give up Seeker. Yeah, I lean that way as well. I prefer, uh, even with getting Kenley Jansen, I prefer the Corey Seeger side in this one. Corey Seeger entering a contract year as well with all these other shortstops. It's Seeger, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor. They're all entering contract years. So if you buy into that type of thing. This one's from Jake. Which side do you like in a head-to-head points dynasty league? Juan Soto, Keston Hiera, and Eric Hosmer. 
for Freddie Freeman. This guy just wrote Julio. (laughs) (laughs) That's... Which Julio would you assume that is, Scott? I mean, that could, that could be Arias. That could be Rodriguez. Um, it's probably Julio Arias. It's probably Arias, yeah. Those are, yeah All right. I, Let's assume I, I it's think, Julio Arias. All right, so Soto, Keston Hira, and Eric Hosmer for Freddie Freeman, Julio Arias, and Kyle Tucker. Well, you're getting... I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to give put much value on Hosmer in a dynasty league, right? Agreed. Freeman is the oldest of the rest, um, but he's obviously very good. And you're getting Arias and Tucker, two long term pieces there with him. Soto is the most valuable of all, and very young. Keston Hira, a lot of upside. Very young. That's really close. I. I it, I think it it helped to know the exact parameters of this dynasty league, how many are being kept and under what context, but just you attaching the word dynasty to it. I'm inclined to go with the Soto side. It's hard to trade Soto for anything in a dynasty league. Yeah. I don't know that I'm overvaluing him, but I I think in a a dynasty startup right now, Scott, head-to-head points dynasty startup. mm -hmm. I might take Soto first overall. The way his career is starting, and, and frankly, he, he he's even younger than than Pujols was when Pujols was getting off to his start. And yep. obviously, if you if you got in on the ground floor of Albert Pujols in a dynasty league, you had it made for for over a decade. So, uh, I I kind of agree with that. Yeah, my original take, like Kesson here, uh, especially is- if it's a points league. I mean where you don't need the huge steals total of an Acuna or a Tatis. Soto mm-hmm. with that plate discipline, this is a points league. So yeah. that makes it even easier. And Kesson here, like he's not good in a points league. He strikes out a lot, but he's still young, and he's flashed some upside. Yeah, I, I can't give up Juan Soto. It's it's a fair it's a fair deal, though. It's a good package in return, but I'm, I'm keeping Juan Soto there. Alrighty, so we're going to wrap up. Just a reminder that Tomorrow, you will hear a podcast with Danny Vietti and Will Middlebrooks in your feed. Yes, it's supposed to be there. There you go. Scotty, he's back. He's got a Christmas tree. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, we got here. Walk in the paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.